Hi, this is Erin Delp, licensed clinical social worker, and Craig Simmons, you wanna introduce yourself? Sure, uh, this is Craig. Um, I'm a licensed or resident in counseling, um, working towards my LPC, um, and welcome back to Pleasure is Your Birthright. And we have a special guest today, Chuck, who is a sex and relationship coach. Chuck, do you wanna introduce yourself? Yeah, um, so I'm Chuck Kopenspire. Uh, I'm a coach for folks who are beginning their journey as a queer, poly, or kinky person and want to get more comfortable exploring that and maybe talk with someone with a little bit more experience. And you can find me on Instagram as The Shame Destroyer. <laughs> I love that, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really curious as to how you got started. Um, in doing relationship coaching and kind of just like, what was the, the brainchild for all of this? Yeah, um, well, it's a mixture because I became a certified health coach a couple of years ago and never really had the confidence to call myself a coach for some reason. And then um, after that, I became a dominatrix and ended up gaining a lot of experience um, sort of delving into the taboo with people and walking new people into a realm that might be kind of scary or feel a little forbidden. Uh, and then I started my training at the Somatica Institute. Um, they started an online training and uh, sort of mixed my experience as a dominatrix and health coach along with what I'm learning as a student there and just started going for it. And it's been going really well. I love that. Um, you know, one of the things that I hear you say is that, you know, uh, that part of your journey was, you know, doing the dominatrix stuff and kind of started gaining uh, what I like to call, or like falling into your flow, I guess, which is like, um, at least for me, that's kind of what I call my like life purpose. And I think once we find that, we start to have that confidence. Um, you know, what do you think about that? Yeah, I think that's absolutely true. It, something that I noticed was that I was coaching a lot of my friends and people started telling me like, you should teach workshops and you should charge for this. And I was like, really, are you sure? Is this, am I doing a good job? And they're like, you're amazing. We want to take your classes. Like, please start doing this. And so I basically felt like I had no choice, but to go for it. That's awesome. That's yeah. Really cool. I love that. Um, what, what does a session look like with one of your clients in terms of um, coaching them through the process of um, one of the things I noticed on your website is it says it's hand on hands on and experiential. So what does that look like when you're working with the client? Well, these days with COVID, it's obviously a little bit different. Um, right now it's all Zoom calls, uh, mm -hmm. but the vision for when we can do them in person is to have cuddle therapy be a part of it and to teach people a little bit about like how they like to be touched so they can communicate that to people. Um, there are, you know, some people who like hard touch and some people who like soft touch. And a lot of people have maybe never been touched either way and don't know what they want or how to communicate that. Um, we also practice setting boundaries and um, letting them practice experiencing having a boundary being set physically, but also saying like, no, I'm not comfortable with that. And just getting to practice that in a safe, non-judgmental space. 
that's really cool. Um, it's funny, a couple of years ago, a couple of friends of mine stumbled onto cuddle therapy and I was like, oh, this sounds cool. I was like, when I become a therapist, I, I enlisted a couple of my friends. I told them, you're going to be my cuddlists. <laughs> you're going to cuddle for me. I can't cuddle because I'm going to be a therapist, but you guys are going to cuddle my clients for me. So Everybody I think that's really, it. they do. And it's, I think, especially after once COVID passes, I think everybody's going to need a, a nice cuddle. <laughs> mm -hmm. I was going to say for some folks, it's scary. Um, mm -hmm. to ask for touch and so to be in a place where it's safe to explore asking from a person who you know is going to be spacious and gentle with you I think is also really good for folks. Yeah Chuck I think that's a great point you know one of the things that I was thinking about was how uncomfortable people are with even platonic touch like we can take you know sex and sexuality out of it but you know it's like how much um, physical touch do we give to our friends and you know uh, feeling uncomfortable because you know in my in my head we've all kind of been programmed into believing that all touch is sexual touch which really I think um, inhibits particularly men from touching their friends and having that fit platonic physical touch when you know in my opinion physical touch is a human need that we have. Yeah, and I think yeah. it's, it's good that you mentioned that because it's something, you know, shame comes into that. People are ashamed of their need for touch and they're ashamed to ask mm -hmm. for it. And I think we're taught that as children, you know, pretty early on that like, you know, keep your hands to yourself and stuff like that, which is, you know, it's good to teach consent, but I think we need to teach the asking as well as the understanding of the no. Mm -hmm. And the ability to receive. Yeah, right. I, I think that that was the hardest part of my um, growing into my body, if you will, was the ability to receive things that felt good. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's some for some people, myself included, it's hard to receive attention and to be the focus. Like I'd much rather be the one, you know, doing things to people because then I know I'm probably doing a good job and for whatever reason, it's more relaxing to be the, the giver than the receiver. Yeah, and I also wonder for myself at least is, you know, is that a situation where if I'm the one giving the pleasure, then I'm in control of that? Mm. Um, you know, because to receive pleasure is such an out of control experience and for, people who've experienced any type of um, big T, little T trauma, whatever. I think growing up in our culture is traumatic uh, generally, you know, and to be able to like really let themselves go in such a way that they're able to fully realize that. Yeah, that's really true. It's such a vulnerable act to receive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, do you ever find that your clients, um, when you guys were talking about that, made me think about the idea of as we're receiving pleasure or receiving touch in any way, sometimes there's almost a performative nature to it. Like we have to make the other person who is giving it feel as though they're doing a good job, even if they're not, right? So how do you work with clients around that, that aspect of teaching them to not perform, don't perform for me. Like really, I want you to really accept this as, as it's intended and as you're receiving it. Well, I can't say that I've actually run into that yet, but mm -hmm. I would think if a person was having an issue with feeling like they needed to perform, I would go one of two ways with it. 
One way would be, I would see if they could find a way to arouse themselves with the performance. Like for myself, I know by making sounds, I get turned on by that. And mm -hmm. the performance is almost part of the enjoyment for me. So I would see if they wanted to lean in or if they wanted to lean out and just really receive without feeling like they needed to give at the same time, we could practice it together with platonic gentle touch. Mm -hmm. And I would probably have them do some deep breathing and embodiment exercises and get really in touch with how they were feeling right then. And the fact that their body is their body that they're in control of and try to help give them space and words to communicate. Maybe if they don't like something. I love that answer. Love it. <laughs> you know, and, and it's about like, you know, because for me, uh, you know, sound and moving that, uh, it's moving that energy up and down the body. And so I think some people are even, you know, uh, opposite where they're afraid to make sound because that sound can be so primal in, in whatever moment they're in. You know, it's like if you've ever gotten, um, been to a masseuse and gotten a massage and they get to a really tight spot and it feels good and it's like oh that felt great and then maybe that person might feel some shame about letting it go but really the sounds that we make are only natural yeah and we are animals we are primal erotic beings and i think the yes. more that we allow ourselves <laughs> to enjoy that fact you know the more that we can say like i am an animal and i love this like the more we can get into it enjoying sex Right. I'm experiencing this world as this animal at this time, and I can do that. Mm -hmm. Another thing Craig and I were talking about, so um, Craig and I know each other from uh, a workplace. Craig's still there. I've moved on at this point. But um, and our primary client was um, young adults who were on the spectrum, um, neurologically diverse, and, you know, one of the things that I've noticed in my life, just with my friends who've had disabilities as well as in my work, is that um, there's not a lot of touch, that those, um, that individuals with disabilities, particularly, um, you know, people who are living alone, you know, the only touch that they might receive would be like a caretaking touch. And just kind of wondering, um, thinking about, you know, the importance of cuddle therapy for a person who might be, um, who might be really undernourished in their human touch and kind of your thoughts on, on that. Hmm. Like for helping neurodiverse people get their needs met. Right. Or just generally working with people with disabilities. Hmm. Um, I mean, in my experience, it's, it's not entirely different from working with people without disabilities and that we learn really early about communication. Like we start with saying, this feels good. This doesn't feel good. I like it when you do this. Um, and for folks who maybe have trouble verbalizing, perhaps we'd come up with alternative cues, um, like maybe a hand up means stop or um, something along those lines. Um, I know for some of my... Uh, I have a friend who's autistic and asexual and he organizes um, cuddle groups and, for other autistic and asexual people. So he's become a leader in his community to bring people together to get those needs met. And so I think if I could encourage 
neurodiverse people to build community around getting their needs met. I, I think community is the way to get everyone's needs met anyway. I love that. You know, I, I think um, this is really kind of highlighting the difference of where we are in Virginia <laughs> and, you know, the, the communities that are available in our location as opposed to on the West Coast, which, you know, might be, be a little bit more progressive. Yeah, I mean, we, we love cuddling over here. We love having, you know, big platonic parties with adults and kids and, and you know, there's a potluck and there's food and people are playing music. And I mean, most houses have a cuddle zone, it seems like. Oh, At wow. least when I visit Portland. <laughs> That's awesome. That's amazing. <laughs> well, I love it. So um, talk to us a little bit about um, just kind of the other aspects of your work. So you talked a little bit about, you know, helping people to get in touch with that idea of touch. Um, but what about the, 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 the young people or the people that you coach who are, you know, exploring their queerness, I guess is the right word for that. Yeah. I, I find that the thing that I've run into the most with my clients is that a lot of them just need permission and to know that they are queer enough or trans enough on their own. Mm -hmm. And then for someone to just not judge them while they talk about, their sincere experience or their sincere desires. Um, because especially for people who are raised male, it can be really, really scary to say, I wanna wear makeup or mm -hmm. I wanna feel beautiful or I want you to use she, her pronouns. Like it can be so edgy to share that with a partner, to share that with your friends or with your family. And so I provide a safe space for them to really just like, you know, spit it all out in front of someone and have someone hold it for them and then encourage them and tell them they're beautiful and, you know, um, just really try to be a positive force for letting them give themselves permission to be queer or trans. Yeah, I think that's so, such hard but great work, you know, especially when we're living in this culture of like compulsory, heteronormative, binary, um, just like all of the things that um, that we live in with our culture and then making that exploration just part of normal development. Yeah, I, I think it's yeah, true, I think it's true. that um, people who are raised female have a little bit more, it's more acceptable to explore masculinity than it is to explore femininity. And that, you know, ties into all kinds of toxic parts of our culture. Mm -hmm. True. I think it's awesome that you're, you're able to provide that space for them. You know, I, I think about that as a um, cisgendered male sitting across from, you know, a, a queer client. How can I give them, I do my best to, you know, give un unconditional positive regard, but I'm not living, you know, in that space. I don't, you know, I can help, I can come alongside and try to inhabit it with you, but I'm not, there, you know, and it's, it's a similar conversation I have with um, my clients who are neuro, neurodiverse. It's like, you know, I'm not on the spectrum. So I, I can't speak to you in, in, in terms of understanding exactly what you're going through. So I have to like do my own parallels of, well, I'm, I'm a black male. So this is what being a black male has looked like for me, in a, you know, a white culture. And so um, trying to figure that out. So I think it's wonderful that they have someone that is able to sit across from them and, you know, and mirror that with them and share that space in a genuine, a really genuine sort of way. So it's really awesome that you're providing that with, for them. Thank you. 
It's a lot of fun for me. I just, it makes me so happy. <laughs> that's the best part of it, right? That's the, yeah, that's, <laughs> I think that's, you know, I, I think Aaron would agree. I think that's the best part of, you know, the work of working with people is, you know, seeing their growth and seeing them be, being able to um, just kind of share and feel accepted. You know, mm -hmm. I think it brings a smile to all of our faces, which is great. Yeah. <laughs> so I think one of the things that this conversation has brought up for me is thinking about, you know, taking these ideas from like what happens individually in the room. Cause you know, working with teenagers, a lot of what I do is talk about sex and gender and all of those things. And, um, you know, being that person, that sounding board, that non-judgmental sounding board, no matter what they're, you know, looking up on the internet or whatever kind of tickles their fancy, but like doing it on a larger scale um, to maybe shift some perspectives on how we as a culture think about sex and how we as a culture perpetuate that, that's such that harmful cycle of shame. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it makes me think, yeah, you know, I've been thinking about doing a group course at some point, and I'm trying to think about how I could hold inclusive space for people of all gender expressions to explore not only the gender they're encouraged to explore, but also the gender they've been discouraged to explore, and to find that that balance, you know, where the where they are in that spectrum. Um, yeah, that's interesting. I've been brainstorming a lot of ideas for courses, right? And so that's... <laughs> just hearing you say that is making me brainstorm a new one <laughs> you know and it's like coming you know if we could all get back into our childlike um kind of like ungendered space um to really talk about it because you know it's like we live in this culture of toxic masculinity misogyny all of those things compulsory heteronormative behaviors you know, and everyone is harmed by that. You know, it's, it's a blanket that we're all harmed by that uh, ideology that we're indoctrinated in. And so how can we create these safe spaces where all different types of people can come together and talk about it in an honest way, in a vulnerable way? How can we create the safety that is uh, conducive to that level of vulnerability. I think li really the only way to do that is to claim your own identity and to wear it as proudly as possible and to be a shining light to say, I'm this way, I'm non-binary, I'm pansexual, and I love myself. And like, that's what I try to do with my Instagram is I talk about aspects of myself that maybe I'm supposed to be ashamed of, but I celebrate them. And then people come to me and they say, thank you so much. I feel the same way, but I never never heard anybody else talk about it. And so I think those of us who have come to a point where we can own it, if we're as loud and as proud as possible, that gives permission to other people. And we can see generation by generation, how much more acceptable these alternative lifestyles are becoming. Mm -hmm. I love that. That just like walking so confidently in our own authentic being you know, and how really, truly inspiring it is to others to be in that way. But it's about your, you know, you're right, that shame that we carry that keeps us from being our authentic selves. 
Yeah, it can be really scary. I mean, for many people, it can raise your chance to experience violence or harassment, and you have to kind of decide, I'm going to take that on because I want to set other people free, and I think that this is the right thing to do. That's awesome. That's really good. Um, you were talking about some of the groups and the, the um, ideas that you're having around groups. Have you been able to do any of your courses or groups, um, group classes, or is that something that, you know, has been put on hold? I know everything has been put on hold by COVID, but have you been able to do maybe any virtual type groups or anything or anything that you're offering that listeners might be able to take advantage of? So I'm in the course creation stage, but it's not complete yet. I'm working okay. on something called From Shame to Fame, uh, which the idea is that you basically figure out what is your thing that is unique and special about you. How can you overcome your shame and claim it and then how to speak about it publicly? And so I'm also, uh, my background is in social media marketing. And so that course will include like, here's how to get seen on Instagram. Here's how to get seen on YouTube once you're willing to like, share the voice that you've developed through the course. Uh, but that's probably about two months out. Um, I have a one-year-old daughter and um, navigating the lack of childcare has been really challenging. And that's mm -hmm. part of what's pushing me into online courses is I can record those after she goes to sleep, but it's really hard to do one-on-one -on -one clients right now with no daycare. Right, yeah. Yeah, COVID's made everything and I think, <laughs> <laughs> um, You know, and I think it's, it, you know, it's especially hard for caretakers to, uh, navigate this world, which I wholeheartedly don't believe that we're supposed to be the sole providers of care and attention to our little ones, um, you know, and that it's a, it's an especially difficult uh, a thing to navigate. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, especially I'm a completely solo parent, like there's no co-parent whatsoever. Okay. And so it's me and her 24 seven, and then I do what I'm passionate about when she's sleeping. Okay. Awesome. Yeah, and, and that's able. just so hard. I'm I'm a solo parent as well, and you know, squeezing in those times to uh, do the things that fill fill my cup, you know, so that I can fill my children's cup. Um, it's so hard, and I think what you're doing is is great work and powerful work. But I can imagine at times it's really difficult to maintain stamina in the nap time. <laughs> I will say though, having a child has increased my focus so much. Like before I was like, oh, I want to do this. And I never did it. And now that I have a baby, I'm like, I got three hours. I'm writing the blog. <laughs> nice. Yes. <laughs> my time management skills went through the roof. <laughs> yeah, they have to. They definitely have to. Um, yeah, let keep us updated on the courses because I would love to be it, to take it. <laughs> yeah, I absolutely. I'll let you know. Yeah, we could definitely use the help with the yeah. social media outreach. <laughs> Peace. Yeah, that's another um, one that's just fun. So I'm happy to help. Yeah. Well, it's. I think it is hard for everyone. You know, we're told to. You know, you have to do this job and. You know, in this time where we're in quarantine and a lot of jobs and industries have gone away, you know, I think a lot of people are doing that culling of themselves, um, you know, the unmasking. So to really, truly find what they're passionate about, you know, if you can't work a concert, you know, what what are you going to do? Um, you know, and 
and it even and it, particularly when our government was uh, you know providing some safety net with the unemployment, people had extra time on their hands and could be creative and how innovative people and how innovative we can be. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely provided, I mean, for me, if it weren't for this quarantine, you know, I got laid off at the beginning, you know, when all the childcare uh, services closed down and I didn't know what I was going to do. And now through this time, I now have a thriving business that's taken, you know, I make just as much as I did when I was working full time as a software developer and I get to do what I love. So in some ways I'm really grateful for, um, you know, being pushed in this way. They say necessity is the mother of invention and it's really been true for me. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. Very cool. Very cool. So great. So the um, one other, the, uh, there were three strands to your business. The third one was the kink um, aspect of it. Um, talk a little bit about that and what that looks like for your clients. Yeah. Well, a lot of folks, I mean, that's obviously where folks have the most shame. So I get a lot of people just asking me, is it okay to like blank? And then I say, yes, it is okay to like blank. <laughs> and they go, really? Is it okay to like blank, 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 blank? <laughs> and I'm like, yes, it's okay to like that. And then they're just, usually that brings them so much joy, like that alone. And mm -hmm. um, I, I'd say the other main focus, other than like, again, just giving people permission to be who they are. The other big thing I do is um, for people who want to be uh, in a dominant role, I help them find resources and learn about the ethics of taking on a dominant role um, so that they can be responsible and competent in that. Because there's a lot of responsibility associated with being in the dominant role that I see a lot of young people not taking seriously. So it's really important to me to start to train people to do that effectively. I wasn't aware that it, that required as much training. It makes a lot of sense. I read, a, um, I started to read uh, one of your blogs posts about how to be a, comp a competent dom, I think you, was how you put it. Um, and I hadn't thought about it. Some of the, the things that you were putting in there, I just hadn't thought about it, but it makes a lot of sense because you are taking, you know, you're taking responsibility for someone else. Um, mm -hmm. So th there is, there does, there seems to be a lot of need for ethics and just kind of understanding of the responsibility of that. So it's glad, I'm glad that you are out there teaching people how to do that because I think yeah, it's important. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I think, uh, you know, particularly um, if people are doing a lot of like hands-on scenes and that sort of thing, that a lot of trauma is being worked out in those moments and that what happens after that scene is so important. And I think a lot of people go into it kind of having seen something on the internet or just trying something out and they don't know how to care for each other at the end of that scene. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, there's so much that goes into it. There's the negotiation beforehand. There is paying very close attention to the cues from the other person during the scene. And then, like you say, there's the aftercare after the scene, which should be negotiated at the very beginning. You know, you should be asking after we play this way, what do you need from me? And um, yeah, I mean, like you say, people just see 50 shades of gray or something on the internet and they think, Oh, I'm just going to hit this person and it's going to be great. But it's, there's just, it's really actually a tender, vulnerable, sweet community for the most part. And the people who do it, I would say properly take a lot of pride in it and do our best to teach, you know, the new folks um, just how to keep each other safe. 
because it's you know it's a dangerous dangerous taboo stuff to be playing with especially if you get into the mental play mm-hmm. um i don't know what that is if you want to share um yeah so i would say two things that i'm really passionate about are service play like where a person says um I'm giving myself to you and I will do anything you want. So whatever you tell me to do, I will do. Um, and then another is humiliation play where a person will want to be degraded or made fun of. And obviously that's a minefield. A person mm-hmm. might want to be made fun of for their, um, for their weight, but not for their hair color, or they might want to be made fun of for, you know, one thing and not the other. There's a million things. And so you have to learn and, and again, pre-negotiate what are your hard limits? What are your soft limits? Um, what do you, what makes you really excited? What do you love? What do you want me to focus on? And, um, yeah, I mean, I feel like you can do more damage in the psychological realm of kink than you can in the physical realm of kink. That makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah, I, think I agree. Very responsible. Yeah. Yeah. Like Aaron was saying, I think there's, there's a lot of big T, little T trauma there that, um, is definitely brought up and can be, um, could be problematic. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, and you also have to plan when you negotiate, what do you do if, if the person does get hurt? If you do step on a toe, mm-hmm. and you know, how do we take care of each other through that? Mm-hmm. Awesome. Well, I've learned something new okay. <laughs> today. <laughs> you know, and I think when done appropriately, it can definitely build intimacy. Um, you know, but again, intimacy requires a level of vulnerability that some people uh, have difficulty achieving, um, and coaching them through that is so important. Yeah, I would say the thing that I love about coaching too is I'm really passionate about setting goals and, and saying, uh, the thing I always ask my clients at the end of their session is, what do you want to be proud to tell me that you did in two weeks? and helping them get to that place where they can be proud of who they are and what they're doing. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a great, yeah. I I think that's a great place to kind of, um, you know, what are we all going to be proud of in two weeks? (laughs) What are we going to tell Chuck in two weeks? (laughs) (laughs) What's going to stretch us? I love that. Chuck, you want to tell us again what your IG and your website are? Yeah. Um, so my, my Instagram is the shame destroyer, the shame destroyer. <laughs> and um, yes. my website is pnwlovecoach.com. Okay. I love it. I appreciate you coming on and talking with us and, you know, I, I truly feel more inspired uh, after having talked with you. Oh, thank you. That really means a lot to me. Thank you guys for having me on here. This is only the second podcast I've gotten to do. Well, I'm, like I said, I'm glad you reached out. Um, we're excited to have you as our, our very first guest on the show. Um, I definitely probably would want, want to have you back sometime in the future, especially once your, um, your courses start up. Um, to kind of talk about that. I'd love to get you back on to kind of, you know, promote that a little bit and just to kind of talk through, you know, what your brainstorm, what your wonderful brain has come up with and and produced. Um, It sounds like you have uh, some really cool things going on and some really cool things that you're you're brainstorming and coming up with. Um, I love that idea. Yeah. So thank you so much. Um, Well, 
Thank you guys for joining us on um, Pleasure is Your Birthright. Um, thank you again, Chuck, for joining us. We really appreciate it. So this is Craig. And this is Aaron. And we'll see you later. Thanks, guys. <laughs>